This is Leader Worth Following with Matt Mizell, right here on Vertical Radio. Hey there, this is Matt Mizell. Welcome to Leader Worth Following. Tonight, I am super excited, friends, because we have a guy on the show that is a leadership guru. He has built leadership offices across the world. He has trained Fortune 500 CEOs, managers, supervisors. If you ever go to Chick-fil-A, the entire model of Chick-fil-A's leadership is all from this episode's guest. He's the author of one of the best-selling business books of all time, The One Minute Manager. And a couple of years back, I had the privilege and opportunity to meet with him as he just poured out his wisdom and knowledge and leadership in a conversation that I had with him. I recently reached back out to him and asked if he would be a guest on this show, and he agreed. So in this episode, friends, I am super excited to introduce to you Ken Blanchard. Well, it's my pleasure. It's a joy, so uh, we'll have some fun. Yeah, of course. Well, tell me a little bit about that quote. None of us are as smart as all of us. Well, you talk about bad leaders. They think all the brains are in their office, you know? And uh, (laughs) as a result, you know, they think that, uh, you know, they can make announcements and everybody's going to run the direction they want them to go. But the reality is, is that uh, you're only as good as the people around you. And I guess it was Robert Greenleaf who said years ago, you need to serve first and lead second. And serving is all about realizing that you're there for their people. Your people, they're not there for you. You bring up an interesting point, Ken, because some people inverse what you just said. You just said serve first, lead second. But sometimes people, and I would kind of put them in the bad leadership category, they lead based on a, uh, kind of a dictatorship. You, you do what I tell you to do because I said it, because I have the title and because uh, I'm the one in charge. But what you're saying is inverted from that. You're saying serve first and lead second. Explain a little bit more about why that's important. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I really learned that first uh, when I was in the seventh grade and I was, grew up in New Rochelle, New York, right outside of New York City. My father uh, retired as an admiral in the Navy, and I won the presidency in the seventh grade, and I came home, and I was all pumped up, and my father said, son, now that you're president of your class, your leadership training begins. He said, and now that you're president, don't ever use your position, because great leaders are great, because people trust and respect them, not because they have power, Mm. and I think that's the one that's hard for a lot of people to get. You know, now I'm the leader. Somehow, uh, that's something special. It is special, but it's special because you got people that are waiting uh, to follow you. I just love the, the title of uh, your show about leaders worth following. So let's go back a little bit in your history, Ken. You own a leadership development company now, Ken Blanchard Companies. What made you interested or passionate in leadership to begin with? Well, it started, as they say, with my father and, uh, uh, I always got interested in, in leadership, and I ended up going to school and got an uh, undergraduate degree in political science and then a master's degree in sociology and, and then a doctor's degree in educational leadership. And so I was always playing around with the behavioral sciences and all, and I was really excited about that. And I remember uh, we went to California on a one-year sabbatical leave, and you know, some 40-some years ago, and and uh, I ran into Spencer Johnson at a uh, cocktail party, and he had written uh, a bunch of children's books. They're called Value Tales, the value of courage, the story of Jackie Robbins, and the, the value of determination, the story of Helen Keller, and things like that. And my wife met him first, and she hand-carried him over, and she said, you ought to write a, a children's book for managers. They won't read anything else. And <laughs> I had written a textbook 
well, management of organizational behavior, but uh, I hadn't thought about a popular book. And Spencer was working on a one-minute scolding with a psychiatrist, and I invited him to a session I was doing, and he came and laughed and came running up at the end and said, Ken, forget parenting. Let's do the one-minute manager, you know. And uh, and uh, so uh, we ended up doing that book with the three secrets of one-minute goal setting, all good performance starts with clear goals. Once goals are clear, you ought to wander around, see if you can catch people doing something right. So you can give them a one-minute praising. And then if people uh, aren't performing as well as they should, you can give them a one-minute redirect. When that book came out, it was interesting. I'm invited to the Hour of Power when Robert Shula's heyday. Mm. And he said, Ken, I love the one-minute manager, but you know who's the greatest one-minute manager of all times. I said, who's that? He said, Jesus. I said, really? He said, yeah, he was really clear on goals. And he said, you and Tom Peters didn't invent management by wandering around. Jesus did. He wandered from one little village to another. If anybody showed interest, he would praise him, heal him. Isn't that your second single one-minute prayer? Yeah. And if people stepped out of line, he wasn't afraid to give them a one-minute reprimand or a one-minute redirect. I mean, he threw the money lenders out of the temple. Isn't that your third single? He said, he's the greatest. And so... I went, whoa, that's really interesting. And I had kind of, you know, gotten away from my faith, but he got me interested in reading the Gospels, and particularly when I get invited when I write a book with Norman Vincent Peale. And I said, is he still alive? I mean, he was, uh, my parents went to his church before I was born. And and uh, so uh, I started to read the Bible, and I just laughed, because everything I had ever taught about leadership, Jesus did. And he <laughs> did it with his. 12 inexperienced guys, as you well know. <laughs> That's fascinating. Correct me if I'm wrong in this timeline, but it, you wrote the book for One Minute Manager. Somebody comes to you and says, you're teaching Jesus' model of leadership. You go back to the Bible, and sure enough, you're teaching what Jesus was teaching with leadership. Did that change anything? Is that timeline correct, Ken? Yes, it is. The structure was still the same as far as leadership, but it, did it change how you viewed people, knowing that you're teaching the Gospels, you're teaching what Jesus talks yeah. about. Did, did it change your perspective? Yeah, it really did in terms of who was the real model, you know, because people mm-hmm. tell me, well, who who model what you're talking about? Well, let's start, you know, from the beginning and let's take a look at Jesus, you know, I mean, and because, uh, you know, the, Matt, the important thing about leadership isn't what happens when you're there, it's what happens when you're not there. Look what the disciples did after Jesus was, you know, gone physically. Look how many thousands of years later we're still following him, so it's a pretty incredible example of uh, leadership. And, and it's interesting, uh, we ended up starting a Lead Like Jesus ministry because I found out that they weren't teaching it in churches. They were teaching about his spiritual role and all those kind of things, but not about him as a great leader. So uh, we're now all over the world teaching Lead Like Jesus, and uh, everybody around the world just uh, loves uh, Jesus as a model. Uh, and we don't initially go in there to convert him, but after they really get into what Jesus did, they get interested in more about him. It's kind of exciting. So the Lead Like Jesus organization you're talking about, that's a nonprofit type of leadership organization, right. correct? Right, and and our uh, headquarters is, is back in, uh, in uh, South Carolina. You're also over Ken Blanchard Companies, which also teaches leadership principles to Fortune 500 companies. How similar are those concepts, what you're teaching through the nonprofit or Lead Like Jesus through the, the faith-based side compared to what you're teaching of CEOs? Well, the concepts are, are very similar, but the, the model uh, is, is Jesus when we're talking to faith-based uh, people. And, and it's really interesting. I, I kid John Maxwell because when I'm dealing with, you know, secular people, I talk about Jesus, too. And I think, you know, John, how come I talk about Jesus 
you know, more than you in my sessions. And he said, because you're not a former pastor. If I mention Jesus, everybody rolls their eyes. If you did, they say, I wonder where Blanchard's going with this, you know. And yeah. so it makes it makes it really kind of fun to see. It's incredible because we really start, we look at the heart, the head, the hands, and the habits of uh, of leading like Jesus. And that applies completely to the secular, too. Funny you mentioned that you weren't a pastor, but last time you and I spoke, Ken, was a couple of years back, and you were a fill-in pastor. I don't know if you still are, but for your church, I think there was a, an, a transition going on, and you were you were preaching every every few weeks or so. Are you still doing that or not anymore? No, they uh, they got it. They uh, finally hired a pastor, so I'm not. I had I really enjoyed that, and I really built the staff up. We had some. A good two great youth ministers and an Egyptian guy who's the best Bible teacher I had heard. Nobody had ever heard them preach. And then we had uh, uh, an executive pastor. They had heard him once in a while. But I set it up so every five weeks uh, one of us would preach. Mm. And uh, it was really fun. And you're probably aware that it's hard for a lot of pastors to engage in leadership. Try giving 45 speeches a year to the same audience. You don't have a lot of time for leadership. It really helps the way. Only had to preach once every five weeks. Getting into the philosophy of leadership, Ken, do you believe, in all of your experience, do you believe that anybody can learn to be a leader worth following? I think they can if they will get their ego out of the way. The, the biggest detriment uh, to people being effective leaders is edging God out and somehow thinking that they're the center of the universe. And they do that in two ways. One is false pride when they have a more than philosophy. They I'm brighter than, I'm smarter than, and all. Or they have a less than philosophy with fear or self-doubt. And both of those are focused on themselves. And the antidote for false pride is humility. And a lot of people thought humility was a, you know, a negative uh, thing and, and uh, weakness. And Jim Collins, when he wrote Good to Great, found out the two characteristics of great leaders was resolve, determination to accomplish a goal, and humility, and initially when humility came out number two, he said to his researchers, hey, this can't be number two. Go back and look at the data, and they kept on going back. It is. And uh, I, I think it was C.S. Lewis or one of those great guys said that uh, humility is not a weakness. In fact, people with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And that's when you get the people with a servant heart and all. And the people with fear or self-doubt, they got to understand that God didn't make any junk, that yeah, we're all beautiful in our own way. So it's uh, we even started a 12-step Egos Anonymous. You'll get a kick out of that, you know, because <laughs> I, I think it's the biggest addiction in the world. Wow. So I'm going to come back. I want to talk about more of that in just a second. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Ken Blanchard. You're listening to Leader Worth Following with Matt Mizell, right here on Vertical Radio. This is... Leader Worth Following with Matt Mizell, right here on Vertical Radio. All right, we are back with Ken Blanchard on the radio. Ken Blanchard has authored a bunch of different books, and he is a leadership guru, and he is sharing some of his best insight and wisdom with us. Ken, thank you again for being here and joining us on Leader Worth Following. It's great to be with you. It's a privilege and honor. Uh, I got a couple questions picking up where we just were talking about before the break. Talking about qualities of good leaders, but let me flip that around. What are some of the most common ways people demonstrating poor leadership? Where do people mess things up the most? Well, I mentioned uh, before the break that their ego gets in the way, particularly 
with the false pride thing where they uh, think all the brains are in their office and uh, they just don't listen to people. You know, if I would say what is the one quality of a great leader is that they listen more than speak and uh, they really realize that they're there for their people. The, the, the lousy leaders uh, think that the people are there for them and they think it's, you know, my way or the highway. My father, I mentioned, was an admiral in the Navy and he said, it's a myth in the military that it's my way or the highway. He said, sure, battle, somebody's got to call the shots. But he said, if you acted like you're a big guy and better than your men, they said they'd shoot you before the enemy. It's <laughs> a pretty bold statement. So what do you feel like is at stake? When there's a, a leader that is leading like a tyrant that's not serving people, what's at stake for either them or the people whom they're leading if they choose not to lead in a servant leadership type of model? Well, this two things, you know, because great leaders uh, have a both-and attitude towards results, which is results and people. And if people are not motivated, they're not uh, completely committed and, and enrolled, and then they start losing their good people. Uh, so those are the two, two things where if you get an effective leader who realizes that they're here to serve, then everybody wants to bring their brains to work, wants to do the best that they can because they want to have great results. And when they get involved, they also have great human satisfaction. So you get both both ends. It's not either or. And the lousy leaders think it, you know, results first and then people second. Uh, okay. So it's an either or. Ken, I'm guessing that throughout the decades, you've come across people who would, you would place in the poor leadership or, as you're saying, the lousy leadership category. But when you have come across those people, are you able to be able to redirect them or help them understand you're leading poorly, or do you have to have them self-discover that? No, well, it's interesting. People ask me, how can I influence up the hierarchy if i got a leader who's not particularly good, not serving at all? And I said that you first got to develop a relationship with the person. Uh, I remember when I was we had a dean who uh, wrote a lot about participative management and all, but he didn't practice it. And faculty members would go in and get feedback, and he'd throw them out of the office, you know. And I, I thought, well, i got to get to know this guy first if I'm going to give him any feedback. So I stopped him in the hall, and I said, Georgia, you know, you've written a number of books, and I'm just getting started in this thing. Would you, would you take a look at an article I'm writing? And give me some people, oh, sure, come on in. No. And I went in his office, they had clip charts, and he helped me. And I had three meetings with him. And the third meeting, he said to me, Ken, what are we going to do with all the jerks we have in the school? And the key word for me was, what are we going to do? And now mm -hmm. he saw me as part of his team. And when he saw me part of his team, then I could give him feedback because, you know, human relations is like money in a, in a glass of water, you know. If you're going to uh, give somebody feedback, you got to draw something out, uh, you know, because you always lose a little bit no matter how good you are. But if there's nothing in the bank, you better have a, you know, a gun and a mask. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what I do is I really get to know these uh, leaders in these companies and get to spend a fair amount of time so they, they trust me. I take them out in the golf course and I do kind of things, and then, then I, uh, I'm able to share, you know, let me share with you some feedback that I'm getting about you, and, and, and you want to hear it, you know, because mm -hmm. you want to get permission to give feedback, too. And uh, sure, you know, let me just tell you. And it's, it's really amazing because some of them just don't, didn't realize it, you know, and 
And uh, and how, how what am I going to do? Well, you know, let's let's get a strategy where you can share with your people what you've realized. You know, a lot of people say you you don't want to you know share any weaknesses and all. I wrote a book with Colleen Barrett who took over the presidency of Southwest Airlines when Herb Kelleher, the founder, uh, stepped down and. She had a great quote. She said, people admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability. And a lot of people don't realize that. When you actually admit to your people, you don't have all the answers rather than them saying, well, why does he have any the position or why is she in charge of this? You know, and they say, wow, this is going to be fun because I can bring my brains to work too. I love that quote you just shared, Ken. People admire the skills, but they, they really admire the vulnerability. I think that vulnerability is is rare in leadership, at least that I have experienced. Uh, is that something that you feel like you need to draw out of people and encourage more and more of to be authentic, be genuine, be vulnerable? Yes, I think that's actually the only uh, way to do it. And the, the successful ones that I've ever been with all have that capacity to admit that they maybe didn't have it all completely right, you know. And it's kind of like taking ownership, you know. If you've made mistakes... Be real, take ownership, move forward, grow from it, learn from it, and keep moving forward. Yeah. And, and perhaps people see you as human. They, they don't put you on a pedestal when they see that you're, you've, got, you've got your own flaws. You know, everybody would like to make a difference, you know, if they could. Uh, I don't think everybody gets up in the morning and says, I wonder how I can, you know, be a lousy employee and drag my feet at work. You know, I think they'd like to be excited. But uh, they get excited when they work with leaders who uh, bring them into the uh, arena. Yeah. You know, and let them let them play play in the game. Yeah. So you've had lots of conversations with leaders, with authors about how to be a good quality type of leader. Being uh, somebody who's vulnerable, and that's what you're uh, you're communicating and teaching people. Has there ever been a time that you have messed up with your leadership, where you screwed things up, and you had to take ownership for it? Well, I think we all. I uh, have, you know, sometimes, you know, you, um, my wife uh, is a great partner for me and she has a PhD in communication and we, we started a company and sometimes I get over enthusiastic and I, and she says, you, you're going to roll over those people there now, just calm down, you know, <laughs> and uh, so uh, she's been a great uh, partner for me. You talk about, you know, helping you be the best uh, you can possibly be. I think you need somebody who give you straight feedback because uh, uh, my enthusiasm sometimes leads into my way or the highway. You bring up another interesting point, Ken. Your wife, Marjorie, is almost like a form of accountability for you. It says in Proverbs, is iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And it sounds like your wife provides that for you. When you've got a CEO or perhaps a pastor, somebody that's at the top of the organization, and, and by perhaps default, people are intimidated because of their status or their leadership. How does that person get authentic, real feedback and accountability to help, to help them grow in their leadership from their staff and from people that see their leadership in action? Well, they want to really maybe go out and, and look for somebody that they could bring in to be their, their second in command and somebody that they respect and, and they make it really clear you know, I want you to be a teammate, not a not a follower, uh, and uh, so that the people initially see you model a relationship with that person, and then you can start to say, you know, you see what what uh, my executive assistant uh, does. I need that from you all too. I need your you to bring your best. So you need to 
to somehow figure out how to model uh, that and at the same time, you know, express your vulnerability. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I brought this person in because I really felt that I, I needed somebody to give it to me straight. You know, I, I've said for years that, that uh, feedback is the breakfast of champions, you know. And uh, if, if you don't get feedback, you know, I mean, how, how are you going to continue to grow? I'm writing down your quote. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. I think that's great. There are 360 feedback from people that know you well and that, uh, as you indicated earlier in the conversation, that people that you've gotten a relationship and developed a relationship with where they can trust that you won't react in a way that's punitive, perhaps. They can be real. They can be authentic without it coming back to bite them. Yeah, because everybody's watching, you know, yeah. and they see that uh, that somebody else can confront you and be straight with you and, and you listen. That's why I say, you know, I mean, if God wanted us to speak more than listen, he would have given us two mouths. So I think that that's another tool with, with leaders, I think, is to recognize and uh, listen rather than speak all the time. Well, you, you keep quoting scripture over there without giving the attribute for it, being slow to speak and quick to listen. And, you know, Ken, that's one of the things that I admire about your leadership is that everything you teach people is biblical. It comes from the Bible. You can back up what you're teaching, even if you don't always quote the scripture. Um, if you're training a, a manager or a CEO, is there ever any times that you're teaching things that are not that you could back up from the Bible, or is it everything that you could back up scripturally if you if you uh, were able to share the reference? Well, that's what really uh, uh, blew my mind when I started to go into the Bible because I found that everything I ever taught about leadership, Jesus did. I mean, he was a classic one-minute manager, and I don't know if you're familiar with situational leadership that, uh, you know, we call it SL2, our, our effective way to lead people, but uh, Jesus changed his leadership style as people matured, you know, and so in the, in the first commission, he sent them out and, you know, there's a page and a half, I think, of direct the behavior, wear this and stay here and do this, and they do that, dust off your feet and all. And then you start seeing it to move from directing to coaching to supporting and in the end of Matthew, he delegates. He says, go and make disciples of all nations and mm. baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the only direction he gives them. Now, he had to come back for one last supportive uh, leadership-style visit, but uh, <laughs> uh, he, really, he really, you know, built them up to the point where they could go and do that. In the beginning, they couldn't. Yeah, so it's almost, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the five love languages of adjusting our love to be able to be what's received based on what people need, not based on what we, we think that they need or based on how we interpret or receive love. What you're kind of describing is adjusting leadership based on the situation, based on what they need, right? That's right. We, we call it, you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, and you actually have to have different strokes for the same folks on different parts of their job because you might have one part of your job where, you know, you're a great preacher and all and, if I was on your uh, your board or something, I, I, we could leave you alone there. But maybe, you know, you need some help on your uh, administrative work or your financial management of the, the church and all. And so, well, I might use a different leadership style there so I can help you become the best you can possibly be. That's great. Well, we got to take another quick break. i got a couple more questions for you when we come back, but we'll be right back just after. You're that. listening to Leader Worth Following with Matt Mizell right here on Vertical Radio. This is Leader Worth Following 
with Matt Mizell, right here on Vertical Radio. All right, we are back with Ken Blanchard on Leader Worth Following. Ken, thank you so much for spending some time with our listeners. You're giving us all sorts of good information as far as how to be better leaders. Are you familiar with the Pareto Principle by chance? Yes, I am. Pareto Principle being that 80% of our impact is done based on 20% of our effort. Do you feel that that's relatable to leadership? Are there a couple things, if we focus on a few things as being good godly leaders who are worth following. Are there a few things that make the biggest difference in our leadership? Yes. Well, that's why I think uh, the one minute manager sold so many copies. Why? Because there's only three secrets, you know, and uh, what people have said, wow, you know, the one minute manager is the 80, 20 principle brought alive because if you want to be an effective leader and you want to be an effective parent, well, first of all, uh, you need to have clear goals, and that doesn't mean you jam goals on people, but it's your responsibility to make sure that the goals are clear and all. And that's that's kind of what I call the leadership part of servant leadership, which is about vision and direction and goals. And then once the, once that's clear, then you philosophically turn the pyramid upside down, and now you work for them, and your job is to wander around and see if you can first catch them doing something right and accent the positive and praise them and encourage them and, and all. And then if there's their performance isn't up to the level on a particular goal, then you need to say, you know, I'm observing uh, your behavior in this area and it's not up where you talked about. Are you observing the same thing? And, you know, most people, when you say it that way, they'll say, yeah, it's probably not my strength area. Well, let's talk about how I can help you, you know, get better in that particular uh, area. And so that's the servant part of servant leadership because you're now there for them. You know, when you look at Jesus, you know, they said to him, what, what are the, what are the big commandments, you know, and 10 commandments too many, you know, what do you say? Love God with all your heart and all your mind and love thy neighbor as thyself, you know, and that pretty well covers it, you know, and then once those goals are clear, what did Jesus do? He wandered around and he would praise people. He would redirect them. I mean, uh, he had a lot to do a lot of redirecting and also praising with Peter, you know, because <laughs> Peter was not always, you know, your ideal follower. So he, he changed his style and, and praised and redirected as they, they went along. And so uh, it was a, a beautiful example of, of, of all the kind of things we teach. But it's the 80-20. You don't want a million things for people to focus on. You bring up Jesus and, and Peter, and it's not just Peter, but, you know, all the disciples consistently failed over and over and over. Uh, I'm reminded of the conversation that they had on the street Jesus had with his disciples when the disciples were fighting over who's the greatest, who's the number one. And, it, and you know, Jesus is eavesdropping on the conversation and then, and then redirects them shortly after that. Um, I, I have, in my experience, Ken, there's been many times where I feel like I've redirected and redirected and redirected, and it, it seems like it falls on deaf ears. How would you encourage people that feel like they're, they're trying to redirect and trying to, to catch people doing the right, far more things to redirect than the moments that they're catching that are doing right? How do you cur- encourage those leaders to, to not give well, up? Well, I, I think after a while, Gary Ridge, who's the president of WD-40, is the he and I wrote a book together called Help People Win at Work. He's a pretty amazing guy. But he, he kind of redirects people, you know, several times. And if they don't come around, then he says uh, to them, I'm going to have to share you with our competition. <laughs> you know? 
you know, I mean, because some people, they just need to go somewhere else, you know. And, uh, I mean, that might be a real blow to them, but they might finally get it. Well, why, why am I being asked to go somewhere else and, and work for the competition? <laughs> when Jesus talks about forgive somebody seven times, seven times, are you implying that we don't redirect 70 times, 70 times? We, we don't keep doing that. There's eventually a time that we can, as you're saying, share, share somebody with a competition and, and release yeah. them. Yeah. But I think there's a difference between forgiving them. You know, you, know, you don't, you don't hold it against them by saying, you know, they're, they're no good, but I, I just don't think it's working out for you here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'd love to get you in a position where, you know, you can be the best that you can because I think you got a lot of good in you and uh, and try to find it. So it's, I don't think you, you keep on having somebody that, that doesn't follow directions and doesn't get the job done and you keep on, no, you know, you'd be out of business. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we're almost out of time, Ken, but, but as we come and wrap up our time together, if somebody's listening to this radio show right now and – And they're thinking, okay, uh, I'm inspired to be a better leader. I want to be a leader who's worth following. I I want to earn the trust from people, but I don't know what my first step. What would you encourage people that are listening right now that want to be good leaders but don't know what that first step is? Well, one is to uh, what are your beliefs? And if they get the one that you you picked up right away, none of us is as smart as all of us. The second thing, though, is who could you find to be a mentor? Uh, is there somebody that you have seen who seems to be quite effective? And uh, could you go to them and say, would you would you help me? You know, could we have lunch a couple of times? And I'd love to pick your brain because I, I see how effective you are with other people, and I'd like to see if I can learn some of that. So don't be afraid to ask uh, for a mentor. I mean, they, they might turn you down, but if somebody says no, they're not turning you down. They're just turning your proposition down. You know, nobody can turn you down without your permission. I think Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, nobody can make you feel inferior without your permission. Mm. Well, and, and that's one of the things I love about you, Ken, is that when we, we met uh, a couple of years ago, we sat down and, and had breakfast for the first time. And, and, and you have a family member that I know and that I'm friends with. And, and uh, you granted me some time face to face. And here you are, you know, you've got offices around the world with the Ken Blanchard companies and you've trained, uh, you know, CEOs in top fortune 500 companies and you've written over 60 books. And yet you made time for me to sit down face to face. And, and, uh, you know, what I appreciate Ken about what you're saying is that you practice what you preach. You know, I, I made an ask and a request and you uh, you agree to even this interview right now. You're you're agreeing to come on and inspire people. Like you're you're a busy guy, you know. <laughs> well, you. I, I I think it's just uh, I mean uh, God's in charge, you know, and He gave me some skills, and I think He wants me to share them, not to not to hoard them, you know. And so mm. if I can help and mentor somebody, even if it's just a, a breakfast together with them, that that uh, is something that. You know, my my big goal is to make Jesus smile so that when I get up to heaven, he says, Blanchard, job well done, my good and faithful. And you do that by uh, keeping out of your own way and making sure that uh, you know you got a partner. And his whole leadership philosophy is based on love, not on power. That's good advice, based on love, not on power. met a guy in the airport a while back from New Zealand interesting guy. And I sent him a couple of books and he wrote me a note a while back and he said, Ken, you know the business you're in? 
is teaching people the power of love rather than the love of power. That's a good ending phrase for you to uh, share that with others. Yeah, that's a great quote. Awesome. Well, Ken, thank you so much for for uh, investing your time. Uh, and, and that's how I look at, at uh, this time together. You're investing your time in other people, people that perhaps you will never meet. And maybe uh, families are solidified and maybe companies are made more healthy because of your insight and what you've shared today. So thank you so much for spending some time with us. Oh, good. It's my pleasure. And, and, uh, and uh, all you people listening, give yourself a hug because you're on here because you want to learn. And if you stop learning, lie down so they can throw the dirt on you because you're already dead. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought that was a really sentimental statement, and then you went to the, the grave with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, Ken, thank you very much for your insight. How do people get a hold of you? If they want to learn from you uh, or they want to uh, take your Situational Leadership 2 course, how do they get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me through uh, Ken.Blanchard at KenBlanchard.com. Uh, that's my my uh, email, and, and that goes directly to me and, uh, you know, doesn't get sidetracked. So I always get a chance to see it. Well, that's awesome. That you, I mean, this is exactly a, an example of what we just talked about earlier, of being available to people. And here you are sending out your, your personal email address that comes to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, I hope that God continues to bless you and keep you safe and uh, appreciate your leadership and your inspiration. You're you're changing uh, millions of people's lives. So keep up the good work, my friend. Well, same for you. And God loves you and so do I. Thanks again, Ken Blanchard. I appreciate your willingness to come and bless those who are listening to this episode. You can find more information from Ken Blanchard by just Googling his name. He's got tons of books, tons of leadership resources, and I can pretty much guarantee to you right now that this radio show would not exist if it weren't for Ken's personal investment in me. And for that, I am very, very thankful. Next week, we have a new guest named Richard Blackaby. Perhaps that last name of Blackaby sounds familiar because Henry Blackaby is the author of one of the best-selling Bible studies of all time. Perhaps you've gone through it yourself. It's called Experience. God. Now, Henry Blackaby doesn't do interviews anymore, but his son, Richard Blackaby, now runs the entire Blackaby organization, and we're going to be chatting with him next week. So join us again for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening today. May God bless you and your family. Don't just be a leader. Be a leader worth following. Thanks for listening to Leader Worth Following with Matt Mizell, right here on Vertical Radio. Produced by Sean Kelly and Devin Neely. For more information, visit leaderworthfollowing.com.